Well, if you would please turn with me to Psalm 93. Though we live in turbulent times, our God is not intimidated. Our psalm reminds us this morning that the Lord reigns, so trust in Him. Please follow as I read Psalm 93, verses 1 through 5, the whole psalm. This is the word of our God. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word in which we see the majestic glory of your presence and your presence with us too this morning. We just ask your blessing on Pastor Lorip as he brings that word to us that as we see the, the almightiness of your power and especially at this time of crisis that we see that everything is under your control too we pray and ask a blessing on us and pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. The Lord reigns. When you hear that declaration from the psalmist, we could have a variety of responses. Now, you might uh, hear that response, and with the world being spun into chaos right now, you may not be quite as enthusiastic. But maybe if something really good just happened to you, maybe you you know, got married, maybe you had a baby, maybe you, you know, your stock values went up or, you know, your favorite team won a championship of some kind. Maybe at that point you're like, yeah, the Lord reigns, right? Because we got what we wanted and everything seems to be going well. But what about times of tragedy? What about the death of a loved one? What about a mortal fight with cancer or some other kind of tragedy? We might lift up an eyebrow and say, yeah, I know he reigns, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Whether you're responding to this declaration with excitement, with sorrow, or even with indifference, the psalmist is helping us to see that the Lord reigns and he is trustworthy for every season of life. Now, as we look at this psalm, we're going to learn three things about the Lord's reign. The Lord's reign is royal, His reign is reliable, and His reign is righteous. First of all, trust the Lord's royal reign. Look again at verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Now, the Psalms are full of imagery. God helps us grasp his truth better through images. Now, the Lord always connects our common experience so that he can communicate to us 
uncommon truths. And we learn about his royal reign by looking at his clothes and looking at his creation. Now, first of all, his clothes. The Bible is full of clothing imagery. To introduce the king who reigns, the psalmist wants us to see that he is robed in majesty. Now, Joseph was robed in a coat of many colors. We know the priests were robed in holy garments, and that Jonathan gave his priestly robe to his friend David as a sign of their covenant. But as glorious as those robes were, only the Lord is robed in majesty, grandeur, and glory. Now, the one of the most striking things about this psalm is that there is not one other person mentioned at all. This psalm is purely focused on the king who reigns. Now, he put on his strength as his belt. Majesty and strength are his clothing. Our king has the glow of greatness, and it's displayed in everything that he does. And so we see next his royal reign over creation. The Lord established the world by his infinite strength. He is so strong, he didn't need any tools to create anything. He just spoke the universe into existence by the word of his mouth. Now, as we think about that kind of power and we think about the Lord's royal reign, we have to see how relevant it is to every season of our lives. Even in Job's great season of suffering, the Lord brings us to this exact place, looking at his creation and the firm foundation that the earth is established upon. The Lord brings to Job a series of of rhetorical questions. He says in Job 38, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, obviously, none of us were there when the Lord established the universe, and so none of us can give Him counsel saying, well, you should have done it this way, right? There's times we might try to do that in other parts of our lives, but we know it doesn't make any sense. When we think about the Lord's royal reign, all of creation has His fingerprints on it. It has a regal design to it. The universe is finely tuned to sustain life on this earth. If we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Just a little bit farther from the sun, we'd freeze. There could be no life on earth. The Lord perfectly fine-tuned the universe for us. Now, as we think about the fact that the earth shall never be moved, we have to consider, again, the king who is sustaining every molecule in the universe in exactly where it should be. God had no beginning. His attribute of aseity, which is his power of being, he gives existence to all other things that are in the world. And so if the world has been established by him, by this God, then it can never be moved. No one else can do anything to challenge his rule and his reign. So how much more stable is he if he is sustaining the whole universe? Well, we have to learn next about trusting his reliable reign. 
First, we looked at his royal reign, and second, his reliable reign. Look at verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Now, when I think of floods, I remember the images of the tsunami that hit Indonesia back in 2004, and then seven years later, another one hit Japan. Now, a tsunami is not a large wave. It's actually a series of stair steps of waves where the whole ocean just comes on shore, and you can't outrun it. There's nothing you can do uh, because it's so much water. Now, as we think about the floods uh, that are described in the Bible, we obviously need to think of the great flood in Noah's day. Not only did it rain for 40 days and 40 nights, but the Lord broke open the springs in the recesses of the deep so that the water also came up. And so there was about 500 million cubic miles of water covering the earth. Now, thankfully, the Lord also promised to never flood the whole earth again. But we still have the thunder of many waters, the psalmist says. This certainly brings to mind giant waterfalls. And so I wanted... (coughs) Excuse me... (coughs) <clears throat> now, I knew Angel Falls okay, was the largest and tallest uh, waterfall in the world, but what I was looking for was which one has the greatest volume of water. And so when I did my research, I was surprised to find that it's, the, um, it's called the Denmark Strait Cataract. Exactly. Who's ever heard of that? And so it is actually a waterfall in the ocean between Iceland and Greenland. This cold, heavy water comes up and over the Greenland-Scotland Ridge and then falls down below the warm water. And so up and over that ridge, there's 175 million cubic feet of water that passes over that ridge. Now, if you don't like the definition of a waterfall underwater and you rather one above uh, sea level, uh, that would be Inga Falls in the Congo, where there's 11 million gallons of water that fall every second. So I've not made it to Niagara Falls yet since moving to Michigan about three years ago and, you know, being close and the border being closed now and all that. But, you know, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, then you also know the thunder of mighty waters. And that thunder is much more familiar to me when it comes to the waves of the sea. You see, I grew up in Florida. My uncle taught me to surf when I was eight years old, and I became addicted to surfing. That was going to be my career. I started making surfboards when I was in high school, and I was fully committed to that direction until the Lord actually brought me to himself at 19 years old and called me to be a pastor. But I still loved surfing so much. I've surfed probably every beach Uh, in the Florida's East Coast. I've also gone to Costa Rica, Panama, uh, California, and Hawaii uh, to surf. The biggest wave I surfed was about 15 feet. Yeah, probably up there somewhere. And then uh, the best wave I ever had was in Hawaii. It was an eight-foot wave uh, that I got barreled on two times in the exact same wave, and I just thought, okay, I can go to heaven now because I'm already there. But when you think about the waves of the sea, I don't want you to think about the two to three foot chop that's on Lake Michigan, right? That's not what he's talking about when he says the mighty waves of the sea. What I want you to think of is Chiahopu, 
Okay, it's a wave in Tahiti. Look it up on Google, not right now, but like later. Uh, Tiahopu is the most powerful, amazing, thick wave that you've ever seen. And you watch these guys surf and you're like, you guys are nuts. Because the reef is like three feet below where they're, the wave is breaking. And it's just, it's, it's like a 20 foot thick lip of water that's going over their heads. It's phenomenal. So when it says the mighty waves of the sea, right, it's not shore break, it's Tiahopu. So the Bible is pointing us to this grandeur of waves and saying God is mightier than that. Then he, Job, or God also says to Job in 30, verse 30, or chapter 38, Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. In the Bible, the sea was used as a symbol of uncertainty and chaos. Fierce winds would come up and into the Sea of Galilee and produce great waves. Now this symbol of chaos is eliminated in heaven. We read in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, for an ocean lover like me, how could we enjoy heaven without the sea? Well, that's not exactly what John is talking about. What he's saying is there is no uncertainty or chaos in heaven. Now, as we think about the Lord's reliable reign... He is not a chaotic God. He has perfectly timed everything, whether we understand it or not. So why would the psalmist begin by talking about how well-established the earth is and that the earth can never be moved and then proceed to talk about the most unstable thing on the earth, namely water? Because even when the floods move higher, Our God is greater than the flood. And so maybe your income is dropping and you fear that your debt is rising like a flood. The Lord is mightier than your debt. Doesn't mean to go spin up a storm, but you know, in times of financial trouble, the Lord can help you learn to manage money, even in turbulent times. Or when the thunders of the waterfall overwhelms you. You need to know that the Lord is mightier than the thunder of the waters. Perhaps it's a lot of noise and turmoil in your family. Maybe conflict rains down like Niagara Falls. The Lord is mightier than your family's conflicts. He can help husbands to not be harsh with their wives. He can help wives to submit to their husband's leadership. He can help both mother and father to not be harsh with their children. And he can help children to honor their father and their mother. Or when the waves of the sea pound and pound and pound, we need to know that the Lord is greater than the waves. Maybe it's every news report you hear, oh, yet again, another riot, another thing that's been destroyed in our country. And it feels like the waves of death and destruction just keep coming. The Lord is mightier than any death or any destruction the world may have. Now, water may feel very unstable, 
But do you know what you can rely on about water? It will always follow gravity. And so when you think about the instability of the raging waters in your life, know that it must follow the gravity of the Lord's will. And so we learn lastly to trust the Lord's righteous reign. First, we learned about his royal reign. Second, his reliable reign. And thirdly, his righteous reign. Look with me at verse 5. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Now, as we think of the Lord's righteous reign, the psalmist shifts his focus from the Lord's strength to now focus on the Lord's character. Now, you may recall Jesus doing something similar in Matthew chapter 9. It says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise up from on your bed, or rise up, I can't even read, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So in this, the Lord wants us to see his strength displayed in creation, displayed in miraculous healing, so that we can learn to trust His character. His decrees are not always understood, but they can be trusted. Now, holiness befits His house. I can't remember uh, who said it, but somebody said, if you have all of God's attributes that are flowing like a river... If they go over a waterfall, the mist that comes up is the holiness of God. It's a beautiful image, but it doesn't exactly tell us what is the holiness of God. I remember hearing uh, D.A. Carson uh, answer that question when I was at a Ligonier conference in Orlando. He said, when the angels cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, do they mean moral, moral, moral is the Lord Almighty? Or, separate, separate, separate is the Lord Almighty. It does lose something, doesn't it? Just to ask questions reveals how inadequate such definitions of holy really are. At its core, Carson says, holy is almost an adjective corresponding to the noun God. Only God is God. God is holy. He is unique. There is no other Then derivatively, that which belongs exclusively to him is designated holy. The censers in the temple, priestly garments, etc. Not because they're moral, and certainly not because they themselves are divine, but because they are restricted in their use to God and his purposes. When people are holy, they are holy for the same reason. They belong to God serve Him, and function with respect to His purposes. So if we as the people of God 
who trust in our holy God to stand firm on his decrees, how is it possible for us to demonstrate that trust in him? Well, this points us right back to Jesus. He was robed in majesty. But when Jesus came, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger of all places. When he was arrested, the guards stripped him and put on him a red or a scarlet robe of shame. And he transformed that scarlet robe of shame into a red robe of righteousness. We see in Revelation 19. Then I heard heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Trust the Lord's reliable reign. We also saw that Jesus is greater than the waves of the sea. When the disciples shrieked in terror because their boat was rocking all over the place and they thought they were going to drown, the sleeping Jesus woke up and said to the mighty waves, Be stilled. And they stopped. The Lord of creation was present and they were even more terrified. Jesus revealed his kingship. He revealed that he is mightier than the sea. And so that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, here's the purpose clause, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. The Father's decrees before the foundation of the world were lived out to the letter by King Jesus. He alone lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He alone died the death that our sins deserve as he hung there upon that cross. He was then buried and three days later he rose again from the dead to conquer death and the devil and all of our sin so that by faith in him we might have God's forgiveness and be united to him forevermore. Is that the king that you worship? If it's not, 
If you have not bowed the knee before King Jesus, then he calls you even now to realize that you cannot save yourself. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right in God's eyes, no matter how much you come to church, how much you read your Bible, no matter what your parents have done, no matter what your kids have done, nothing will make you right in his eyes except for the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that can be yours by faith. Turn from your sin and put your trust in him alone. For those that have turned from their sin and have entrusted their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, my question for you is, do you give thanks to him among the people? Do you praise his name among the nations, giving him verbal credit to where credit is due even among unbelievers? He has set us apart For such a time as this, when the darkness seems to be crowding in, he has called us to shine the light of the gospel into the lives of those who don't understand why this world is as fallen as it is. And as we bring the light into their lives, not only in word, but also in deed, then they will also see his glory over all the earth. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come and acknowledge your kingship, the greatness of your rule over all things, King Jesus, we are grateful for the way that you have ruled even over our sin in a way that we would never have planned ourselves by taking that sin upon yourself, paying for it in full, and then rising again in triumph where you are now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, we come to you rejoicing that your grace is indeed sufficient. And as we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to demonstrate your rule over our lives so that the world would know that we truly follow the King and that they might know you as well. We pray it in your most holy name. Amen.